Hello, and welcome back to Venture Studio, the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 60-plus companies, and the director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the people who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I am your producer, Kevin Weeks. Remember, all of our shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now Google Play. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review, and follow us on Twitter at Venture Studio. As you know, this is part two of our interview with Spencer Ante. If you missed part one, make sure you go back and take a listen. When we left off, Spencer had just told the story of Digital Equipment's IPO, which represented a roughly 70,000% ROI for ARD and its founder, George Dorio. This week, Dave and Spencer get into the drivers of economic progress, the roots of the differences between East and West Coast founders, and some more detail about Spencer's newest venture, Who We Use. And now, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office. In the office, baby. Going up. You, you say in the book, I'm quoting here, society was dominated by the large corporations such as Standard Oil, U.S. Steel, General Motors, now uh, driven by these venture-backed companies, uh, Dorio was the profit of this startup nation. Uh, it's become became seventeen percent of our GDP. These startups, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So he was a philosopher, and in a lot of ways, like I said, and he was the leader of the social movement. And he and a bunch of other people in New England realized that he realized early on that innovation was the key to like economic progress because things were the world was speeding up, things were changing, uh, and then you needed. It was a sense of constant competition. And, you know, Andy Grove has this famous phrase, only the paranoid survive, that people know today. Like 30 years before that, Dorio had this phrase, always remember that somewhere, somebody somewhere else is, 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 is creating something that's going to, like, kill your company. Wow. Right? And he, he realizes that. And so coming out of the war, it gave him an extra appreciation for the value of technology um, and then pioneering the funding of these small companies gave him, proved out the model, uh, and that it really, so the, the, yeah, the big takeaway from the book is that, he, you know, the social movement basically transformed America from being, like you said, a, a country dominated by these big monolithic companies like Standard Oil, American Steel, et cetera, to one that is now today more driven by these small companies that are founded in people's garages, right. uh, now today co-working spaces, um, that, that go on to become the leaders of the economy. You look at the you look at the the companies of today. The most valuable companies in the world um, are tech companies. So, like Apple is the most valuable company in the world. Google is right behind it. But uh, then they've got Microsoft. Then you've got Facebook. Facebook is now one of the most valuable companies in the world. And so, Facebook is only like eleven years old. Yeah, you know. It's incredible to see in Facebook, all the companies I just mentioned were, were funded by venture capital. And I'm not saying that every company needs to be funded by venture capital because it doesn't, but venture capital is, is, the, is, the, is the most um, preferred financing vehicle for a certain special type of high growth company, yeah. right? That, that, it, that has ambitions outside of its own local market that wants to today become a global company, right? And you need capital 
to, 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 like you said, to scale these companies, to, to expand their market reach, to hire employees. You can't, it's very rare that you see a company that can fund itself out of its own internal operations. So you need venture capital to do this. And so Dorio helped prove out this idea. And now it is the dominant idea in the economy. Yeah, no, it, it, um, you know, for the for the uh, founders and, and investors listening to this, uh, um, I jotted down a few bullets reading Spencer's book. Think about this. Everyone says, oh, convertible notes. Uh, it's kind of a new thing. It got hot about six, seven years ago. Uh-uh. <laughs> 1946. Dorio had limited capital, as Spencer's saying. He had three, $3.4 million. He was very careful. He was doing convertible notes back then. Yeah. Amazing. He was taking board seats. He was bringing in experienced mentors from industry. Spencer talks about annual meetings. You know how all these vent- cool venture firms have everyone, all the portfolios come together every year? Guess what? ARD was doing that every year. I mean, your descriptions are yeah. beautiful. He had this, yeah, thank you. He had this, I, that was one of my favorite parts of the book was that part of being the leader of a movement is, is being charismatic and, and bringing people together and, and, and sort of um, exposing the community to, to the wider world. And so he was a genius at that. He was a genius at presentation. Like they called it the velvet glove. He had the velvet, he had the velvet glove. Like if you were going to show like a, a computer circuit to an investor, you wouldn't just show it to them. You would put it underneath a velvet purple um, cloth and then you would unveil it. And it would be like, ah, uh, you know, it's like little things like that. So one of the one of the brilliant things he did was he put together as part of his annual meetings for the investment firm, he co-organized um, basically a technology fair, a conference, so to speak, um, that would show off all the amazing companies and innovations that were being funded by ARD. So it, it brought it, it gave them publicity, it helped them get customers, it helped them get build their brands. And uh, it became this like huge deal. Like people look forward to it every year and it got an incredible amount of press. You know, I remember getting all these great stories in Business Week and other Forbes. They would write about these, uh, the ARD, the ARD annual conference and it. it was a very popular thing. And today that, you know, it's like that's, everyone does that now, right? Right. But no, he, he was, he was the first one that had the, te- it was like the first tech conference. Exactly. So when you're going into TechCrunch Disrupt or launch, out on the West Coast, or you know, you're looking at videos of Steve Jobs and, and unveiling his products. Guess what? Dorio invented all that. He was <laughs> he was the pioneer, um, and getting everyone together and all the por- portfolio companies and the speakers that would come. He did that. He was doing all of that. Just a genius uh, on the marketing side as well. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. yeah. I mean, you know, that was that he had so many different skills, and that was definitely an important one because. You know, it was nobody really knew about this world, you know, and, and being able to market that was a very critical part of the success. We touched on this uh, a few minutes ago in terms of the structure. So much was similar. But as you pointed out, a lot of the structural mistakes by the main one being forming as a, as a publicly held company, people learned from that. Um, there were some things that, might, I mean, how could you get it all right? How could you possibly get it all right? In those days, they didn't know. This was new. Uh, so you, you mentioned already that the alumni of ARD and many of uh, Dorio's students at Harvard Business School who got into venture capital 
structured things differently from then on. Uh, but also you, you talk about in your chapter, Why the West Won, how things evolved from there on the West Coast and, and maybe what slowed things down here in the wake of ARD on the East Coast. Maybe share yeah. a, little bit, a little bit of that with, uh, with our, our, our listeners. Yeah. So just to give you like set the context, the, the, like as, as we've been discussing, the, the venture capital and entrepreneurship basically were pioneered on the East Coast, mostly in New England and a little bit in New York. Um, and I'll just read you this one little bit from, to show you how the dominance of the region. By the late 1960s, Route 128, which is the circle around Boston, the 65-mile highway surrounding Boston, Cambridge, Harland had come to be seen as the nation's innovate, most innovative plot of land, quote, the golden semicircle, claiming headquarters or branches of 690 technology-oriented companies. So it was like the first Silicon Valley in a sense. Mm-hmm. And that was because you had MIT and Harvard, which were the, the two of the top universities in America, and MIT obviously having a strong technical bent. Uh, then you had New York as the financial capital of the world, and, and, um, and then Harvard had the business school training as well. Right. So you kind of combined all these things together, and it became a great petri dish for innovation. What happened in the late 60s um, is a couple things happened. One, you know, there's this guy named Frederick Terman who became a key player at, at Stanford, and he was the dean of the engineering school at Stanford. And he, 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 he and Doria were kindred spirits. He also saw the value and the importance of using uh, technology to drive the economy and innovation. So he, he became... He basically started doing similar things, or sim- he started to build a community, a tech community in uh, the Bay Area out of Stanford, and he he famously helped nurture um, Hewlett Packard into existence right. because um, uh, Dave Packard was a student of Frederick Terman's. So that whole thing was happening. Then you then a lot of these um, students started um, wanted they wanted to form their own companies. Right. You had Eula Packard. Then the big one was Fairchild Semiconductor. OK, which is, as people who study the Valley know, was the the godhead of Silicon Valley. Like you could trace almost every company in Silicon Valley, including Intel, was born out of Fairchild. But Fairchild was basically started by a, a bunch of guys who left Shockley Semiconductor, which was an East Coast technology chip maker. And they were called the Traitorous Eight. And that's a famous story. Valley lore. They were, they were today. This is you. You know, this is encouraged. Right. If you if you leave a company to start another company, that's that's pretty much what people do all the time. When those guys did it in the fifties, they were called traitors. <laughs> right. right. Which tells you a lot about the right. culture and how the culture changed. So they started um, Fairchild. It became a big success. Then they, all these guys started spinning off out of Fairchild, and so. Uh, you had the first two Silicon Valley venture capital firms were started by alumnus of Fairchild. I see. All right. The, the links here are so fascinating. So um, Tom Perkins worked, um, he worked for Yule Packard and then he worked, he worked for Yule Packard and then Don, Don Valentine worked for, for Fairchild. So you had, you had all these things coming together. You had the companies getting traction in Silicon Valley. You had the great engineering talent coming out of Stanford and Cal Berkeley and Caltech. Um, you had this great climate. I also think another factor is the the more inclusive culture. 
that it, it attracted more diversity. The East Coast that was one of the pro, that was one of the flaws, not the flaws, but one of the one of the characteristics of the East Coast that I think made it not hospitable to, to innovation was that it was more um, it, w- it was more closed, yes. right? Boston, you know, has you know compared to you know had a reputation for being very um, not inclusive, you know, in, in its way. So California was much more inclusive. A lot of immigrants started moving to California that powered um, Silicon Valley for a long time. But it all started with with like this great mix of startups gaining traction, engineering talent, and and then the vent. They finally got their own venture capital firms in the West Coast, which which was the as I say the the fuel, putting fuel on the fire of Silicon Valley. And then this incredible ten year run where Silicon Valley basically took over um, innovation. Um, and so Kleiner Perkins and Sequoia Capital helped finance um, uh, several groundbreaking companies. So Sequoia got behind Apple and Atari. So you had the video game industry, the computer industry, and then Kleiner Perkins also founded Tandem, which is another successful computer company. And then the really big one was they've helped, they helped found Genentech, yes. Yes. which basically created the whole biotech industry. So by the time you went from 1970 to 1980, Silicon Valley companies and investors had created four new entirely industries. They created personal computers, video games, um, uh, and, bio- and biotechnology. You know, right, right. And, and that really was the turning point. And they've never. It's Silicon Valley's never looked back. Right. It's really fascinating. It's not a sob story. It's just how it worked out. It, it's it's it sounds like Dorio was the pioneer. And his legacy lives on. And, and by the way, so many of the people you just mentioned were students of his who went to Harvard Business School who were in his Tom class. Tom Perkins. Tom Perkins and all those guys. I, there was a uh, documentary that Paul Holland uh, produced. He's a part yeah. of the Foundation Capital. I forget the name of it. But it's all about the early pioneers in venture capital on the West Coast. And I just remember them. Half of them took uh, Dorio's course uh, at Harvard and, and then came came to the West Coast. So Dorio had a massive influence but it sounded like the East Coast had all the money. They had the first venture capital firm. They had MIT, Route 128, <clears throat> Harvard, Wall Street. And it was the culture, the climate, the ethnic diversity, the pioneers like Terman that just helped accelerate uh, everything over there. Whereas the East Coast, and, and still today you see um, the echoes of it and, and the behaviors. It's like, where's my dividend? Yeah, <laughs> Very well, transactional, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, and, and it, I think technology shifts happen, okay? And if you don't recognize the shift is happening, you, you suffer greatly, okay? I see, I see. And the first major technology shift that happened that Silicon Valley realized more than New York and, and Boston was the microprocessor. Ah, ah. So Don Valentine realized that the microprocessor was going to be an enabling technology that was going to give birth to many different new industries, Mm-hmm. So he saw that with Atari in the video game, right? He saw it with Apple and the personal computer. It was really all about the microprocessor. And the microprocessor was invented really on the West Coast. Got it. So it's a good lesson for today's entrepreneurs that you got to just be aware of what the what these shifts are. You know, the internet was the big shift in the 90s. You know, you remember your Microsoft Bill Gates wrote this famous memo about the internet, you know, and how it was like, he's like, this is... We got to make the whole company about the internet, you know, yep. um, today, 
Um, and then social media was the big shift in the 2000s, right? Today, the big shift, I think, is around artificial intelligence and machine learning. Google is like pivoting in its entire company to be focused around AI and, and machine learning. So, you know, IBM is also trying to do that with Watson. And so that's really the thing that made Silicon Valley Silicon Valley. In addition to all the things we just mentioned, was like having the insight into the shift in technology and like taking advantage of it. Mm. No, very helpful. Now, you, you've been doing this for 20 years, business reporting, Wall Street Journal, senior writer in the tech group, covering all the big companies. Uh, uh, you've, you've written the book on the origins of venture capital, creative capital, Dorio. You've seen all these trends. And of course, uh, you're truly a renaissance man. You, you also launched your own startup, Who We Use, uh, in the last couple of years. Tell us, tell us what's going on with Who We Use, how, what, what's, what it does, etc. Give us a sense. Yeah, so it was in around 2000, um, 2014, I was working at the Wall Street Journal, and, and you know, one of the great things about being a technology journalist is you get to, you get to meet all these incredible people and, and, you know, and get sort of inside in their, in their heads and their companies and seeing, you know, and, and telling the stories, these incredible stories about innovation. Also, you know, and eventually, like, I've always been kind of a risk, I like, I like to think of myself as a, being a risk taker. Right. Um, eventually, you know, if you have that mentality, you know, you, you, you want to do it yourself, right. Instead of just writing about it. Right. Um, and I just came to that point in my life when I was like, you know what, I want to, you know, and I've done some things here and the book was an entrepreneurial thing in a sense, you know, and a risk and a risk venture. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to do something with a company. So, you know, I, I, I basically negotiated a buyout. I left the wall street journal, which is a great job. Um, and I started, I met my neighbor when I moved to the suburbs, there was this guy named John Garbarino who lived two houses down from me. And we started talking about, Hey, what are you doing? He was in tech. And I, you know, and he told me about this idea he had to create an app, uh, that would basically connect, um, connect you with the best local services in your community. And he, he wanted to call it who we use. And I started to think about this. And I thought, that's a really cool idea. I'm like, that doesn't exist today. And I, and I, the thing that really hooked me was like, having moved to the suburbs, I, I've had a, a visceral um, recognition of the need for this type of service. Because when you move to a community, you don't know a lot of people, but you, you know, you have, you know, sometimes you have a home, I bought a home, and you have a lot of needs for home services and related and other related services that come yeah. from like family life, right. like pro camp programs for your kids or the dentist, like all this, all this stuff. And so I'm like, wow. I mean, to me, when I studied, you know, like wrote this book and studied all these companies, it had all the ingredients of what I thought would be a successful company, which was, um, mission based approach to solving a problem that you understood very well and, and saw the need for that hadn't been solved. And so I was like, let's, I'm like, let's just try to do this. So we, we banded together and we kind of inspired each other. And, uh, I took, I took my, my buyout money and I, that helped fund me. John quit his job and we started working on it. Uh, and, and so basically we built it. <laughs> right. You put the seed money. money in too. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> we put, we put our own sweat equity in right. and then we reached a point where we needed outside money. So we were able to, um, meet a bunch of really amazing investors, um, that that's how we met you actually that. So yeah, we, yeah. we were able to meet 
um, Dave Wanek uh, and Andrew Baldwin from Western Technology Investment, which is like a venture debt firm in Silicon Valley, but they have a very robust uh, early stage investment program and they've invested in many good companies in the, in the New York area. Um, they, 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 we met with them at, at a, uh, it was actually at a venture growth event organized by a law firm uh, in New York uh, that's a very popular uh, event for, for New York entrepreneurs. Um, and then we met them and they, they bought in. And then we met these other two great guys who started this new early stage investment firm called Blue Seed Capital, which is now Blue Seed Collective. It's a bunch of ex-McKinsey guys. We call them the McKinsey Mafia. Um, and they became our lead investor. And then we raised <clears throat> angel money from a couple other local investors. So we took that money and that allowed us to um, hire um, uh, some developers uh, bring in an amazing UX designer because we're making a mobile app. Um, we needed that really sharp US, UX expertise. Right, right. Um, and we hired this incredible woman named Leslie Fleischman who uh, worked for U- Work & Co. and designed apps for Virgin and, and she's done work for a lot of tech companies. And then our incredible other co-founder, Pete Clark, who's our chief technological officer. He was kind of overseeing the whole dev effort. Uh, and we launched like uh, we had a beta program like a year and a half ago. We, you know, like a lot of things, <laughs> we learned that we didn't get it all right at first. So we went back to the drawing board. We redesigned like pretty much the whole experience, and then we just relaunched a couple months ago. And so we're we're, we're basically growing out the, our presence in the New Jersey market because it's hyper local. So we're we're proving it out here. And so basically, if you if you take the app. You download the app who we use from the iOS. We don't, we're building an Android version now, but it's iOS now. And it basically connects you with your friends and your neighbors in your, in your area through Facebook login or, you know, we also have an email login. And then it, and, and you share the services that you use with your community and you can make requests for service and then, the real, and then get recommendations from your community. And the really cool thing now is we just launched offers. Okay. So we're taking... We're sourcing offers from local businesses, the most popular, relevant businesses um, in your community, and we're getting offers for them, and we're uploading them into the app so that you can, you know, not only are we connecting you with the services, but we're giving you, um, we're giving you a way to save money. I like that. I like yeah. that. So, yeah. so we're talking about electricians, plumbers, carpenters, my roof is leaking, I, I, can, I might be able to, to get a discount as well. Yeah. Yeah, all those basic home services, electricians, carpenters, plumbers, painters, contractors. Um, we've got a lot. We're getting a lot of retailers in there. You know, it's been an incredible experience, you know, That's and nice. we're just trying to we're just trying to take it to the next level now, you know, and we're going to we're going to go. We're going to raise more money and then we're going to go out and we're going to like take the model we're developing here and expand it to other adjacent markets uh, and just keep building it out. I love it. I love it. Congratulations on that. That's that's awesome. You're obviously inspired by uh, by your years in tech and reading about the origins of VC. Now that you've been uh, running a tech startup for a while, what's your sense of uh, you know the whole New York City ecosystem? I mean, you've you've been writing about looking into the the, the Silicon Valley ecosystem. New York, all the tech companies, the big companies to the small all these years. What, what, what are you seeing? Uh, what are the trends? Yeah, so that was one of the stories that I was very interested in covering when I was at the Wall Street Journal. And I wrote a couple uh, big stories about the, the, the growth of the New York entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem. 
And I think those trends are continuing. You know, New York has basically become, after Silicon Valley, New York is, I, I, I would argue, the most, and it's not like it's such a competitive thing, because it's like we're all in the same we're all in the same boat ultimately, but the New York has like become the second most important center of innovation in the country. I think Boston is right there too. Um, but New York has really made huge strides, I think in the last 10 years. And it, you know, and it, it's the same playbook that I dimension uh, that I, you know, discovered in writing creative capital, which is like, you need, you need those, those key three ingredients. You need like the university system, which New York has a great university system, um, Columbia has a great engineering school. Um, New York Polytechnic has a lot of great engineers. Um, <clears throat> then you need that first class of companies. And for New York, it started um, when they used to call it Silicon Alley. No one calls it that anymore. But DoubleClick was a big New York company. A lot of people came out of DoubleClick. Like Kevin Ryan was one of the oh, key yeah. uh, leaders of the New York tech system. He founded Guilt Group uh, and Business Insider and a bunch of other companies. Um, so you had that groundswell of activity. Um, and then you had the, the, the last leg, which is the, the financing. So there's been a lot of venture capital firms, uh, investment firms that have been started in this area over the last 10 years. The one that I, I have uh, the most respect for is First Round Capital. Yeah. I wrote a big story about First Round Capital in Business Week in, um, I think it was 2009, and it was called the the rise of the super angels, mm. and now this has become common today. But you know, basically, there's this 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 trend or this the emergence of a new form of early stage firm, which I recognized because I had written the book, which is this back to basics mentality. Okay, you don't need gigantic funds to be successful in venture capital. First round capital had very small funds; they still raise small funds, um, but they really focus on building. And supporting the entrepreneur, and that's the key thing that Dorio realizes. It's all about building and, and supporting, building mechanisms and support the entrepreneurs. First Run Capital has been very innovative in creating this, you know, um, operating network uh, to help do that. Now, Andreessen Horowitz is doing it, but First Run Capital was the first company to really do it. Um, and so you had them, um, and then they, and then you had Lever, Lever Ventures, yep. which is now Lever Hippo Ventures. Which I think has been like a key early stage investment firm in New York. They've they've seeded a lot of these media plays, um, you know, like uh, Huffington Post, yep. which is a huge success. Now they're on BuzzFeed, which is the next big media success story coming out of New York. So you could see like you could see thing you could see this movie happening again. I don't know uh, like where it goes, but I do know that there's enough activity, and you just I mean you know this right. <laughs> You go into these co-working spaces in New York and Brooklyn, and they're they're just packed. Oh yeah, no, it's amazing. You know, it's and a lot of these guys and 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 women, a lot of these people are coming out of they're leaving traditional industry. The whole thing about New York is it's all about connect. It's not like a pure tech play. It's all about integration. It's all about combining technology with existing business, like retail, media, uh, fashion. Um, you know, Warby Parker. Warby Parker is an incredible success story. I remember writing about them. They're disrupting the eyewear business, right? Because Luxottica is like this gigantic, you know, almost monopolistic firm, and they're coming in and they're showing a new way to do business. They just got an over a billion dollar valuation, you know, um, and they're just doing some tremendous things. Buzzfeed is valued at over a billion. You've got Vice. Vice is based here. They're doing incredible stuff. So I think 
you know, New York, New York is never going to be um, the Silicon Valley of the East. Right. It, it's and that and I think that people know that, and so they're just trying to create a new type of innovation, and that's really the future in a lot of ways of innovation. I think is applying technology, um, not to, to just other aspects of life yeah. and industry. And New York is like in, in a great position to help lead that. And I, I'm very optimistic about, you know, where New York is going. It's just going to be really fun to watch it continue to grow. What do you think? I'm, I'm very bullish on it. I, yeah. I, I'm always trying to learn, learn more and, and learn from history. See, learn from, from these trends, right? Not, and that's part of why I love talking to people like you, because, you know, you get that historical sweep of what's happening and, what the trends are otherwise you're you're confined to uh what you see in front of you right without that context so um, yeah you know but uh this is the, l- let me tell you this has been just awesome to have you on my friend thank you this is just uh, a tour de force thank you for writing the book thank you for spending time with us we'll, we'll have you back on your your insights are, are just remarkable Thank you so much, Dave. It's been a real pleasure, and I appreciate your your support and and interest. Absolutely. Thank you again. Take care, man. Take care, man. Show you around, give you a taste of the business, you know?